speech just a few minutes this morning. And several people have asked me, what do we do next? So I'll tell you that next Sunday morning we start a new series for the spring and into the end of, towards the end of June. It's based on, <coughs> excuse me, it's based on 1 John. 1 John's a great little book. It's only whatever it might be. Um, so 29 times John wants us to live not in doubt, not in confusion, but John wants us to live with certainty. And so he's 29 times he says, this is how we know that we pass from death to life or whatever it might be. So may I really encourage you this week to, to read 1 John a number of times. And pause and work over those first four verses. Because that's, that will be what we'll do next Sunday morning. Okay, so if the service could come and return our offering, we appreciate that. Okay? Thank you. thousand years the cross has been the symbol of Christianity and the most significant thing that we need to know and affirm on this Sunday morning above everything else that it is an empty cross for two thousand years Christians have been sure of the fact that the death of Jesus and his public execution at the hands of the Roman soldiers was not the last word like some cosmic chess master God had still one more move to make And the cross was not checkmate. And that final move by the king was the fact that Jesus rose and triumphed over the grave. The resurrection of Jesus is the cornerstone of Christianity. It is the hinge upon which everything else turns. And it must be, as we were saying on Friday, both a historical reality, which means it is an event that is rooted and takes part in history, and it must also be a spiritual reality, which means it's an event that has to have taken hold in our lives. So for a number of months we've been looking at the identity of Jesus through the the times in which Jesus says things like, I am, I am the bread of life, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And we've kept the last and the final, uh, most powerful declaration of those I am statements for Easter Sunday. In which Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He thought that every time Jesus makes one of these great I am statements, we've looked at ten or twelve of them, he is facing a real human need in the lives of people. And he's saying that he will answer that need with himself, with who he is. He is saying, you have a problem. But I I am the answer to that problem. For people who are hungry, Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. For people who are lost in darkness, people say, I am the light. For people who are just lost in their way, lost in life, don't know why they're here, Jesus says, I am the way. For people who are in doubt, Jesus says to them, I am the truth. And now as we'll see in a few minutes this morning, for people who are facing death, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And this is probably the greatest statement which Jesus makes about himself. And we have to see and understand, it does not come after the resurrection. When Jesus and the disciples, as it were, as we would say, kind of dotted the I's and stroked the T's. 
when they discovered the resurrection was a reality. This statement of Jesus, I'm the resurrection and the life, comes before it happened. He makes the claim of resurrection before it happens. He does not say to them, I will be the resurrection and the life. But he says, I am, in what you're facing, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm sure that um, each one of us, in some form or fashion, of some close friends. It's the kind of place where we can go to their home, we know where we kind of hang up our coat. We relax. We take up our shoes. We kind of sit back in a comfortable chair. And frankly, we can just be ourselves. There's no show that we've got to put on for anything. So let me invite you this morning for a few minutes to follow Jesus into a home where he could do just that. It's the kind of place where Jesus could just relax. The crowds were gone. Nobody was trying to get them to do something. They weren't there saying, can you say some new profound thing? Can you teach us a new parable? Or a new beatitude, whatever it might be. Jesus could go to this home and just be by himself. He could sit back and unwind after a day of ministry. On a tiring day as they often were of being with people. Jesus could just go and sit back and relax. The home to the small village. The village is called Bethany. In the town you find, in this home you find two sisters, Mary and Martha, and they have a brother called Lazarus. If you have a Bible this morning, and I hope you do, turn with me to John chapter 11. We're going to read a few verses, skip a few verses. We want to kind of get the flow of the story. But we start in John chapter 11. Guess what's going on? <coughs> this is a home that, where Jesus was known and loved and welcomed. We'll start the story in verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary's brother Lazarus, not only sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now get down to verse 17. Jump down to 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. The Jews very much believed that if you were there for four days, death was final. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here... My brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then as Jesus often does, he asks a question. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Jesus once more deeply moved. That's a word in Greek that we do not have. A word with the same depth and intensity to communicate what Jesus felt move inside his heart and soul for this situation. Deeply moved. Verse 38, by the way, I'm sorry. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, 
It's just like, just a minute. Hold on. She's the sister of the dead man. By this time there's a bad odor for he's been there for four days. Jesus said, did I not tell you if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus! Come out! The dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen, cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Think about that passage and step into that as it were with some emotion. That must have been one of the wildest, scariest sights that you could ever see. That has got to be more terrifying than watching a Stephen King horror movie. Because here is this man, still bound in his grave clothes, staggering out of the darkness of the tomb. He's been there for four days, it says. So, so think about it. He's blinded by the light, wondering what in the name just happened to him. And he hears Jesus. Now remember, that's a voice that he would recognize. That's a familiar voice to him. And Jesus gives an order. It's a resurrection command. And it's simply this. Untie him. Unloose him. And take off his grave clothes. Let him go. Some years ago I watched a movie. Many of you may have seen it. It was called Dead Man Walking. Any of you saw that? It was Sean Penn. And Sean Penn plays the part of a convicted killer um, who has been found guilty of a terrible, heinous crime and is sentenced to death. And as the day and the hour of his execution approaches, he is taken out of his cell for his last walk to the death chamber. And he's handcuffed and shackled. Guards walk close on either side of them. And as they walk down the corridor in the prison, one of the guards starts to call out. Dead man walking. Dead man walking. As when I watched that scene in the movie, I thought to myself in that moment, in what way at times does that actually describe some of our lives? Sure, we're all living and breathing and we're not going to a death chamber as Sean Penn was. We go to work and whatever we do and we drive around. But sometimes we would need the honesty to ask ourselves, sometimes am I a dead man or a dead woman walking? Are we like Lazarus, bound by grave clothes, and yet not knowing this life that Jesus truly intends us to live and fully intends us to have. Are we dead people walking? Let me unpack that for a few minutes on this Easter Sunday. Here's what it might mean to you. We can experience, you see, the death of hope in our lives. And we become like dead people walking around. 
The death of the hope, of hope is what leads to despair and to depression. Someone has said that hopelessness is at the top of the list of all of the causes that underlie depression. The person suffering from depression sees a future filled with inescapable pain, with no relief and no help in sight, so they give up hope. People suffering from depression are like dead people walking. Depression is paralyzing. And I tell you that to something honestly as someone who has suffered from depression. I have been there. We have no energy to get off the Chesterfield. We have no energy or interest to do even the smallest of tasks. We become suffocated by the death of despair that rises out of the death of hope. This Easter, this Easter Sunday, this weekend... Can you hear a Jesus who stands at the door of this grave of despair and desolation and hopelessness in our lives and says, I am the resurrection and the life. Untie him. Untie her. And let her go so that the warmth and the light of hope can once again flood back into our lives and souls and hearts. It says in the book of Romans for us towards the end, it says, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures two great words so that through the endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope if you ever feel yourself struggling with failure maybe it's called Peter who comes and kneels down beside you and puts an arm around you and says to you have hope because let me tell you that one day I failed also. But Jesus picked me up and stood me back on my feet again. And once again, the sand in my life became a rock. When you struggle with doubt, Thomas steps out of the pages of the scriptures and says, I have been there. I know what it feels like to say, I can't believe right now. But I've been there. Take hope. Take heart. When you feel the pressure of life just piled up against you, and nothing seems to go right, and things pile one on top of the other, and you cannot see the way ahead, there's a man called Job who can come and walk alongside you and say to you, have hope. Have hope. One of the things that God might want to do in your life this Easter is to untie you. To set you free from the grave clothes of despair and to resurrect hope again in your life. If he needs to do it, would you let him do it this Sunday? You can also experience what we'll call the death of faith. And the death of faith leads quickly to doubt and disbelief in our lives. And we become again like dead men and dead women walking. If the loss of hope paralyzes the soul, then doubt which leads to disbelief starves us to death. You see, our minds do not feed on thin air. Our minds need to feed on the truth and on the facts of faith. Doubt and disbelief narrow the mind. They eclipse the possibility of what God can do. 
Stones rolled in front of tombs are not a problem for God. Faith invites us to trust God which expands our minds and enlarges our hearts to believe in what God can do this Easter. God may want to stand at the door of your life this Easter and say to you or say to me, untie him, untie her. Let them loose to discover what God can do. Untie them from doubt and disbelief. And this Easter he wants to resurrect and give new life and new faith to your faith in your heart. We can experience the death of love. When love dies in us, it does not give birth to heat. When love dies in us, it gives birth to apathy. And we find it easy to drift into the attitude that simply says, Why bother? Why bother? Who cares? The death of love is apathy. It is the dust of death which silently falls upon us. You see, God has designed us to love in three main ways. He's designed us, first of all, to love God. He's designed us to love others. And He's designed us also to love ourselves. And then we can stop being the person that God calls us to be. That is a tragedy. And when we slip into the quicksand of apathy, and we find that we stop loving God, we stop caring for others, and we stop loving ourselves. Apathy is like wearing the grave clothes of death. Without love, we are dead men and dead women, dead people walking. Can I say to you this Easter? Don't allow the dust of death to choke out faith and hope and love in you. Because one of the things that God wants to do this Easter for every one of our lives is to stand before our lives and say, Untie them! Let her loose! And set them free from the bonds of apathy. <coughs> we sang a, a great hymn this morning. Probably um, one of my most favorite hymns from um, a hymn writer of a previous generation. His name was Charles Wesley. If you're not too familiar with it, here's the words of one of the verses again. Charles Wesley wrote, Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin in nature's night. But thine eye diffused a quickening ray I woke. The dungeon flamed with light. And then Wesley says, My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose and went forth and followed thee. That's from Jesus. Over many, many years, I've grown and had a deep, deep love for the church. I've struggled at times with the church, but I also love the church. I found a verse in Ephesians inescapable. It says, Christ loved the church. And gave himself for it. And there are times I wonder if the church today is a bit like Lazarus. Standing bound and tied in the grave clothes of hopelessness. The church wearing the grave clothes of impotence, weakness. And just as Jesus stood before the grave of Lazarus, called him forth and said, Untie him, set him free, because I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus, in the same way, stands before his church. 
and declares to us today, I am the resurrection and the life, and the power that called Lazarus out of the, the dead, out of the grave, and the power that, Jesus, that God used to raise Jesus from the grave, resurrection power, is yours and mine as we live and serve in the church. Can you hear Jesus saying to the church, untie the church from tradition that's lost its meaning in life? We need to remember that we live out of the past, but we do not live in the past. Untie the church from being tied up in the world's games of power and politics. And Jesus, would you loosen us to be the people that you want us to be to serve and love our world. Untie the church from being bound by the standards of our culture and society. And loosen us and set us free to stretch and reach goals for the kingdom. Untie the church from mediocrity and shallowness. Set us free to live with creativity and with strength and imagination. Untie the church from silly games and petty squabbles. And liberated to be and become the people of God. No longer clothed with the old rags that smell of death. But clothed with the clothes of righteousness. Untie the church from being limited to see only with our own eyes. But would you set us free? Would you set us free to see and believe all that can be done through the resurrection power of God? So would you stand please? So the one who stands before you, before me this Easter, the one who stands before the church and says, I can do this. He is the one who declares, I am the resurrection and the life. Untie them.